1: Back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod Iron Cameron. Uh, and Michigan State loses another one at home to Illinois, 79 to 74. And Rod, the first half of this game looked pretty much like a continuation right from the Penn State game. Uh, the offense just looked like they were playing in a glue factory, just couldn't get anything going. Uh, Grandison was just raining threes down on Michigan State. They go in. Uh, Down 12 at halftime. And really, it gets pushed out all the way to 16 with 9 minutes left. Um, And then Tyson Walker kind of just takes over. um, Brings them all the way back uh, with 40 seconds seconds left. They got a chance. Um, They get a turnover. And then Trent Fraser comes down and hits a 3 to just kind of ice it. Uh, Another frustrating game. But there are some good things that did come out of this to some extent. The officiating was not one of them.
0: No, it certainly wasn't. Those guys just completely lost control of, yeah. of that game. And, you know, the the best indication of that is when you've got both coaches in an absolute fury. Izzo <laughs> actually said something about it in his post game, which is rare yeah, for he, any coach yeah. to say it. And he said he just he's tired of it. You can't deal with the inconsistency and, and the play he pointed to. Now it's true that in, if I remember correctly in the end, it didn't end up hurting Michigan state. There was that there had been a play earlier where Malik Hall had, um, inadvertent. I think he might've banged or he actually was the block play. Coleman Hawkins blocked him at the rim
1: yeah, and
0: he, he got hit. I think in the, I don't know what happened. Um, they thought it was the broadcast. thought it was a midsection. I don't think it was. but it looked like a um, whatever, shoulder. That was kind of yeah, scary. Whatever it was. So he was down on the play. Illinois goes down and scores five on four, right? And they didn't stop the play, as they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Flash forward, um, Coleman Hawkins, I believe, was the guy who was down. Uh, or maybe no. Maybe it was somebody else. An Illini player was down. At the other end, Michigan State gets the ball. They're breaking five on four, and they're realizing it and about to go score, and the official stops. He stops yeah. the play. I don't know if I've ever seen that. And and there was no explanation given that I'm aware of why not. As I say, I don't think it ended up hurting Michigan State because if I remember correctly, on the ensuing inbound, they ended up getting a three from Walker. So they did score but it, just the fact that it was done is really the issue mm-hmm. and and there were just a host of there, there was a that out bad, of bounds I mean, play that he was yeah, standing right in just, front of yeah so look i'm not about to say that the officials cost michigan state this game they did but not in my opinion at least but um, there's a, there's a problem and i don't know what we do to solve this you know people people have talked about this for a long time now And the moment, you know, when somebody doesn't really know what they're talking about is when they go on about quote unquote, big 10 officials, there is no such thing. Really. The Mm -hmm. conference does not employ officials like football. Okay. And that might be the the root of the problem. Actually, you have to understand the problem before you can do something to fix it. Mm -hmm. And when people are big 10 officials, they don't know what they're talking about. The schools and the conference, decide who will officiate they they bring in they hire officials to to officiate games and it is true that the same guys tend to be hired for the most part for big 10 games but they are not employed in any way by the conference Mm -hmm. um that crew as i understand it i didn't see this game but as i understand it they did the oakland game the night before which apparently was also very poorly officiated I've heard that anecdotally, but um, I have no difficulty believing it because again, that's the core of the problem or one of the problems in my view is that there's no cap that I'm aware of on how often these guys can work, yeah, and there's an incentive because they make more money if they work more games I mean Ted Valentine used to be famous for this. You look at his schedule, and he was working six nights a week. Um, (laughs) That's barely an exaggeration. Um,
1: Yeah, some of these guys get into the hundreds by the end of the season. Correct,
0: and and I think that might be a first step. And maybe the way you do that is you change this, and you have conferences. And I don't know the logistics of it. I'm talking out of my ass here, but there's a problem there's a problem that has to be dealt with college basketball officiating of the major sports in this country. So take all the professional sports, college football, college basketball, the ones with the most attention on them. Mm. I think it's pretty clear that college basketball officiating is by far the worst. Yeah. You can you can complain about officiating in any sport and have some valid examples. But on a consistent basis, college basketball seems to be the worst and it's also the one that has the, the one outlier and that it has this system where these guys are just kind of free agents roaming the landscape, mm-hmm. picking up, you know, and that's the thing. It's, it's a, a situation where I don't even necessarily fault them because if the system says, hey, you can do this and you're incentivized to do it because you make more money by working more games, well, why the hell would you not work more games? You know, it's not their fault. Yeah, and they they get different. It's not like the same crew
1: all the time either. It seems like
0: no, no, they they it's, don't. And they just another, plug in and another play. Thing. People. That's another thing. Exactly right. So if if you at least had a consistent crew, but but see that's the thing. So one guy wants to work six nights a week, and another guy is a little more sane and says, "Hey, I only want to do four games a week." Yeah. Well, you can't have that crew. So they'll never impose that kind of standard. But I I think it seems to me that might be a starting place for a conversation would be, we got to rein this in. Let's, let, you know, and, and these officials probably would be upset by that because it means they're not going to make as much money. So maybe, maybe what you do is you take at least the major conferences could do this uh, because of the amount. I mean, the Big Ten's about to do a new deal that, as I understand it, is going to get them somewhere around a billion dollars for their next TV deal from whomever wins it, NBC, CBS, ESPN, whoever. Um, Maybe take a portion of that and upgrade the pay for these guys so they can afford to not work as many games and you bring them under the umbrella of the conference and you establish a little better standard. Mm -hmm. Because this is a joke. I mean this 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 game wasn't about well uh, excuse me this game ah uh, my apologies this game wasn't about um you know sometimes we'll, we'll talk about how it's really not the officials' fault it's the rules committee's fault. They're calling it the way they're instructed to. It's just the rules committee interpretation or emphasis is a bad thing for basketball. Mm-hmm. That wasn't it. These were just blatantly missed calls, botched calls, calls made up out of nowhere. Isn't that stoppage of play? It was It was bizarre to watch. So that, that was unfortunate. But again, I, we spent some time talking about it. I don't want anybody to come away with the impression that, at least speaking for myself, that I think that dictated the outcome. I don't. Um, in the end, I think the team that deserved to win won, barely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it is worth commenting on because it was so poorly officiated. And, and again, when you got both coaches infuriated, you know there's a problem.
1: Yeah. It's just it just makes watching the game so much more annoying. I mean, <laughs> we're
0: already dealing with a loss here. Uh, yeah. And this and this game is always going to be a tough one to officiate because. Kofi Coburn, it's it's the collegiate version of Shaq. Mm-hmm. The officials always used to say it's impossible to officiate a game, really, that Shaquille O'Neal plays in, because theoretically you could call a foul every possession that he touches the ball. And and that goes both ways. It's usually said to say, oh, this poor you know, nobody loves Goliath, to, to use the old Wilt Chamberlain line, that this this poor guy just gets beat on all game, and because he's so much bigger than everybody else, the officials don't call it. Well, yeah, there is some of that. That's absolutely true. But I will say that you could easily call more fouls on Kofi Coburn than yeah. you do. There were some there were some plays in that game where you could easily have called offensive fouls on him in the post that weren't called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? the one that got illinois fans up in arms as i've observed looking around was and i have to admit it's a call you absolutely never see anymore they actually called 3 seconds on kofi coburn <laughs> yeah which i can't remember that that might be the first 3 seconds call this season that that is a call that for for those who are much under 40 um they probably don't have a memory of that call being very frequent. That used to be called all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a fruit. When I think about basketball in the eighties, especially, especially pre three point shot revolution, when the emphasis on uh, post play was much greater. Yeah. uh, That was a consistent call. You saw in games, big men had to be flashing in and out of the lane, as opposed to just setting up camp. And, and it's disappeared to such an extent that these guys rarely even bother to, <laughs> to get out of the lane anymore. I mean, Kofi Coburn lives in the lane. I'm sure it was the right call. It's just I can understand the amazement on Illinois' part because when's the last time you saw it? I'd be curious to know how many times he's been called for that this season. I'll, I'll bet you, you wouldn't even have to use every digit of, of one hand, mm-hmm. I would assume. Um, and, and he does look, he could probably be called for it 10 times a game. If you were really doing it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but anyway, coming in, you knew this was going to be a tough game to officiate just because he's in it and he makes it a tough game to officiate Not not his fault. It's just because of his, his size that it, it makes it extremely difficult to, to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they really went above and beyond that to make that a disaster. <laughs> that and that's
1: where I, I think the annoying part was it seemed like they were they got into a death spiral of makeup calls that just got worse and worse and worse
0: yeah yeah it was it was it was just poorly done but i i think getting back to the the actual game i'm i'm pretty much in agreement with you as to the way it went um but there were some interesting things about it i i thought worth commenting on mm-hmm. um the first half offensively. Yeah. Just running in quicksand again. And I don't understand. And you know, Jay Williams is not one of my favorites. Let's put it that way as a broadcaster, but I will give him the, I mean, the, the way he went after Gabe Brown, they had that footage of MSU warming up um, before the game and they're showing Gabe doing his routine and, And Jay's going old school, you know, and and I look, I appreciate all that stuff, but maybe you should show Gabe Brown singing and dancing and laughing his way to final fours before you decide that that's got something to do with why this team isn't playing as well as some think it should be. Mm -hmm. You know, I just thought that was a terrible shot. And he got so much heat on social media from it that he felt compelled to talk about it in the broadcast, to defend himself. himself. (laughs) But anyway, for all that he got wrong, Jay Williams did get one thing absolutely right, which was in the first half. And really you can almost say for the first 30 minutes of the game, Michigan state did not attack Illinois the way they needed to on offense. Mm -hmm. Um, It was clear that Illinois, Illinois when, when Kofi is in the game, they have no choice. They have to shack ball screens. They have to. He is not mobile enough. If he goes out, they try to hard edge, or even feather it. You know where the big man just doesn't come completely all the way above the screen, but he just kind of tries to drag it out and force the force the ball handler to to move laterally. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't do that with him one it's ineffective because his foot speed is so poor two if he did try to do it they'd get him in foul trouble quicker and you can whistle dixie i mean that would be that would be a bad 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 choice on illinois's part um and so they don't do it that way they shack him because they want to protect him they want to keep him on the floor for what he does as a rebounder and obviously offensively mm-hmm. um but that creates a problem for them because it gives you shots the shots that Tyson Walker took and made over the last 10 minutes of the game uh, were there the whole game I, I said on on Twitter yesterday the amazing thing and I don't think I'm exaggerating Tyson Walker could have scored 35 or 40 in that game it he had certainly two, appears he had, that way he had two points in the first half two and he ended up with 26. <laughs> he could have easily gotten another 10 in the first half if he'd played the same way and I'm not and I'm not counting on him having to go 5 for 5 either mm-hmm. to get those 10. He could have had another 10 points without any sweat. And if he'd been hot, maybe another 15. Uh those shots were there Michigan State did not attack the only thing they got going at all in the first half was occasionally they'd get something from Hogarth via penetration. Yes. I mean, this is one you can't put on the point guards. Those were the two guys who showed up. mm -hmm. It was everybody else who really struggled to do anything, but Michigan state. so that's the first thing I don't understand. Um, You know, and and, (laughs) since I'm on the subject, might as well talk about it. The strangest thing. And the thing that I've, I've thought about ever since. And I, still can't wrap my mind around what they're talking about, but maybe more importantly, why Izzo's talking about it. Both Izzo and Tyson Walker after the game went to great lengths to let people know, hey, listen, those shots were there for Tyson, particularly because of the way Illinois chooses to defend. Mm -hmm. Those shot opportunities, those same windows, all of that will not be there in every game. With the idea being, hey, don't expect him to score twenty six points a night going forward. Yeah, if that, if that's, if if you just stopped with that and said, look, he was really hot, um, you know, I don't expect quite this kind of production every night. Okay, I get that you're trying to manage expectations, but the reality is, we've been talking about this all year long. The exact same shot windows don't necessarily pop up against every opponent because every opponent doesn't play pick and roll the same way. Mm -hmm. But I can absolutely tell you, Tyson Walker in the average game probably passes on minimum four or five great looks every game. Yeah. Yeah. We know this. This is not new. So the fact that that particular angle doesn't appear against every team doesn't matter. Every team in the Big Ten has gone under screens against him. Everybody. When you do that, the way you shoot, you have to shoot an opponent out of that. And the shots are there Mm -hmm. on those plays when they go under. They're there. He ought to take them. He doesn't. So I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean. And if by that, Tom Izzo means, hey, look. This was just a function of the way they defended, and the next time out against Iowa, they're not going to play it the same way. So, you know, Tyson, don't expect Tyson to be taking a bunch of shots. If that's his conclusion, I don't know what he's talking about. And I I almost never feel that way, but I did coming out of this one. I don't know what that was about. And Tyson Walker is saying the same things. He's parroting his coach. But, you know, the thing I loved about that second half was it was the first time all year that tyson walker looked to me like he was playing freely
1: mm-hmm. and i don't
0: i don't mean that michigan state puts him in a box i think that it's mostly been about tyson's mentality his willingness to, I, I put it this way to somebody uh yesterday on twitter there have been games where tyson walker has played a good game i indiana was a recent example where he hit a bunch of threes but this was different that that second half was i'm the baddest man on the court and nobody can stop me yeah that's what that was mentality wise you could see it he was playing freely in his mind it's not about old michigan state you know the the bullshit people have occasionally tried to push about his for 25 years he won't let guards get their boogie on it's bullshit it's always been bullshit but you have to believe as a player that you have the freedom to take those shots, to make those plays. It's about a mentality. Some guys come in, you know, Kalen Lucas never had trouble with that from mm-hmm. day one, never had trouble with that. You know, Cassius Winston had to get there. It was a process. You know, I would say it took him, in part, it took him till his sophomore year. And really, you could argue it took him full, to get fully there until midway through his junior year. Yeah, when Lankford went down. Yep. So it's a it's a process, you know, for some guys. And I don't fault Tyson for struggling a bit with the transition. You know, you're coming into the Big Ten, you're playing with much more talented guys than you're used to. The team is not asking you to carry the offense the way they did at Northeastern. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, this team does need Tyson Walker to be that guy. They don't necessarily need him to score 26 points a night. But they, we've been saying it all year long. My opinion has not changed. This team can only reach its apex or anywhere close to that if Tyson Walker is a much better player than we've seen most of the season, a much more aggressive player. Mm-hmm. Well, we finally saw what that version of Tyson Walker can be. And if they got anything close to that, they got 75% of that going forward. Michigan State is a vastly better team. Mm-hmm. Not just because of what he will do, but because of what that Tyson Walker playing that aggressively will force defenses to do, which will create other opportunities for his teammates. All of a sudden, teams maybe can't load up on Gabe Brown the way they have been, or Max Christie. Um, maybe the guys at the post have a little more room to operate. You know, it's a subtle thing that can change it all. Mm-hmm. when you got a deal especially with a guy with a ball in his hands that's where it's it's so important you know and, and so i loved what i saw from him it was the most excited i've been about this team maybe all year and ironically it comes in a loss but because uh, yeah. he finally he finally played the way that they need him to play and just as importantly the way that he is capable of playing nothing he did in that game you know sometimes you'll see a guy play out of his mind. Uh, you know, I go back, to me, the classic example was, and this is an old reference, a lot of the listeners probably won't remember this game, but I know some will. Uh, Michigan State in the Sweet 16 in 1986, the controversial clock game lost to Kansas. Uh, they had a guy named Barry Fordham who played center. And Barry Fordham had been the starter all year. He was like six nine in an era where most centers were bigger than that. Mm. Uh, but He was not a scorer. He was there to defend. He was a good defensive player, and he was a good rebounder, and he was just the best of a set of not great options. Mm -hmm. Okay? Never a scorer. In that loss to Kansas, somehow Barry Fordham scored 16 points. And so coming back the next season, people thought, well, maybe that unlocked something in Barry Fordham. Maybe he could score more. Never happened again it was a one game bolt from the blue. You know, he did things that he really doesn't do or didn't do Mm -hmm. with regularity. That's not this. Everything Tyson Walker did in that game is completely in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't hitting 30 footers. It wasn't even a, I I didn't feel like it was a heat check situation because he never took a shot that I thought, Ooh, that was a little forced. You know, sometimes you see a guy get on a roll and that fourth one he takes is a contested 25 footer. You're like, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Never happened. Never happened. Everything he did was in, within the offense, was under control, and was a an objectively good to great shot. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. He can do he can make every play he made in that game on a regular basis. It's all there for him. So we get back to, well, okay, why isn't he doing that? Well, it's about mentality. Mm -hmm. It's about having the freedom in his mind to, uh, to attack. And that's, what's got to happen. And the only reason I'm worried about it is what I heard in the post game, which seemed to downplay it, not the right move in my opinion, but you know, look, Tom Izzo knows more basketball than all of us listening to this thing combined. Um, There must be a reason for it, but for the life of me, I've been thinking about it ever since, and I can't figure it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a head-scratcher. I mean, because after watching that, in my head I was thinking, man, if I was Izzo, he would be running laps every single game that he's over 55% from three because he needs to be shooting more. I mean, how are you – he's 56 Almost fifty-seven percent from three
0: on the year. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a line that gets used. and I think it's a good one sometimes about guys who are well above fifty percent from three, but their volume isn't huge. And we, I think yeah. we've talked about this where you say, "Look, be a forty-two percent shooter from three, but give me the volume because mm-hmm. I still come out ahead." Yeah, I mean, if you're shooting a little worse, efficiency wise, but you're taking a lot more, I still come out ahead because you taking a shot is better than other guys taking a shot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Even if your percentage drops. So that was the that was the first thing, and by far the biggest that I didn't understand. But, but here was another. Um, you know, we we said in the preview, and we're we're wrong. Let's just call it as it is that we figured Michigan State was going to play Kofi straight up. They did at times. They did a lot, but they didn't do it consistently. Mm -hmm. The one exception of that that was consistent is they decided to dig off Grandison. You mentioned Grandison was dropping in threes like they were going out of style um, in the first half, especially. Well, almost all of those came off an MSU player digging down, coming off Grandison to double Kofi and then they would swing the ball to Grandison and he'd hit he'd hit a three. I mean they killed MSU with it. Mm -hmm. Now I had mentioned in the preview, Illinois shooters, all of them, all the Grandison, Plummer, Frazier, were all coming into this game on a little bit of a slump over the last three. They'd all seen their three-point shooting decline a bit since the first time MSU saw them, and again, particularly in these three most recent games heading into this one. So I understand maybe taking a risk once. Yeah. Maybe twice. But the fact that they kept doing it, and then eventually they stopped, but the fact they did it as long as they did, I didn't understand You know, on the other hand, I will say, you know, you mentioned uh, down the stretch, um, MSU had, if I'm trying to remember, was it the, yeah, it was the, it was the second half late. They had a hard trap of Coburn in the corner and it got a turnover. He threw the ball to Hogarth. Yes. Um, You know, there were times MSU got things out of it. But I, it, those half-court, that just did not make sense to me hmm. that that they they elected to do that as long as they did. I was surprised by it, and it didn't work. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest. You could say, okay, you tried something, you thought the statistics were there to support it, and the guy shot better. But, but Grandison's been a good shooter all year. He's a plus 40% guy, even with his slump. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can't be that surprised. So I was I was a little bit shocked by that. Um, and then the other the other thing that I I struggled with Michigan State. I get it with Bingham to an extent. They played behind Coburn, but Marble was playing behind him too. Mm-hmm. And I, and and Marble did a better job against him than Markey did, which was weird but true. I think. Um, he just fought him more and made it tougher on him. Yeah. But I didn't understand that, and I, I'm i pretty sure I've got this right. I saw Michigan State front Coburn, I think, once. And it was when Hauser had to guard him. There was a yeah. brief period where they went small, and they were going to try to create some some exchanges there where Joey might be able to get some things done offensively. And you know what happened when they fronted him? turnover because mm-hmm. Illinois had to try to go over the top and they didn't execute it very well. I yeah. would have liked to, I just, the way Michigan state, and it's not like Coburn dominated the game. He was good. I, I don't think he's what won them the game. I think Grandison. And then in the end, I think Frazier played a really good game, even though he didn't score it. Um, I think he, I agree with Izzo on that. I think he played a very, very good game and obviously he hit the biggest shot. Uh, but, um, it was still, it was weird. I, I didn't feel like Michigan State had a coherent plan in place to deal with Kofi. And that's rare. Usually they do. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, it, he still
1: had 27 points, 10 for 15 from the floor. The problem yeah, is Grandison far, had 24.
0: <laughs> yeah, by far his best game against Michigan State. This is his mm-hmm. fourth game. And as we noted in the pregame, he, in the previous three, he shot 10 for 27 from the floor. So, you know, now he's, what does that make him, uh, 42. So that makes him 20 for 42 lifetime
1: mm-hmm.
0: against Michigan State, unless they see him in the Big Ten tournament. Or, God help us, he comes back for a fourth year, which I can't even imagine. But, uh, you know, so he got back, in as I paraphrase in his old line, he got back into the human race against Michigan State career-wise with this one. You know, 10 for 15 is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a, that's a, look, that's a good number. I'd say he didn't dominate the game, and then, you know, you trot that out, and I think, well, that's pretty close to being dominant. But um, I just found it weird the way MSU defended him. They, the things that I thought they would do and could have done to make it harder on him and harder on Illinois, they just didn't do very much of it. And then on the rare occasions they did do it, it seemed to work. Mm-hmm. So, I'd, again... I understand Bynum playing behind him because you figure his length can help there, and in the past it has frustrated Coburn. So that I got, but with anybody smaller, I I don't know why you don't front him. And they they did it with such success against uh, Trace Jackson Davis just a week before. Yeah. So like, why? Why? What makes this? There's obviously something I'm not understanding about that, and I'll freely admit it. I'm sure there's a good reason why. I would hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the life of me, I didn't understand it because I thought, Hey, that's, that's the way you play against this guy Force Illinois to try and go over the top. And look, if they do it three or four times successfully, okay, maybe you rethink it at that point, but make them prove they can do it mm-hmm. against you. And the and one time, MSU did make them do it. It, it resulted in a turnover.
1: So, maybe – I guess maybe the game plan was we're going to – if they're really going to double down on him and dig really hard, they're going to have to start by playing behind him. And then once – because like that Joey yeah. Hauser situation was kind of like, oh, hell, we just – we don't know what we got. <laughs> Hauser's out there. Just do whatever you can. you know, but Maybe.
0: Maybe. But, but the problem with that is they were only digging off one guy. Mm-hmm. They weren't digging off any of the other guards. They were digging off Grandison only that, you know, so I don't know that that holds up. It's just, it's a strange, it was a strange game to me strategically at both ends the first half offensively. You don't attack Illinois the way that it's there. And it could be that the players just didn't execute it. I'm, I'm not putting this necessarily on the coaches, but, and then add in the whole game defensively I didn't understand it Mm -hmm. it was it ran contrary to so much of what Izzo has typically been about defensively the fact that you're you're coming off guys like that at all against a team that shoots that well he very, very rarely will do that. It, it almost seemed to me like he was saying, all right, we're counting on these guys having at least one more game where they can't hit the broad side of a bar. Mm-hmm. That's pretty – th- that's not Izzo-like because you've got to know, hey, these guys have proven to be good shooters. They're likely to rally from this. Yeah. you it, know, Especially if you're giving them wide-open looks. And it, When he did get it out –
1: even if they were able to get onto somebody, it, 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 the rotations were just so crazy that it was just a madhouse. And, I, mean, and I
0: and I will tell you this: I have I have not been overly complimentary of Illinois this year, especially given their record. Um, but one thing, one thing I can say is um, that uh, they move the ball extremely well. They look to me they look very similar in that way to a vintage Tom Izzo team Mm -hmm. when they get the ball popping around the horn, so to speak. Yes. That's it's. They are not to me. they are not normally a team I would describe as aesthetically beautiful because Coburn's game is anything but that Mm -hmm. and so much of what they do. But when they do that, it is pretty to watch. They move the ball around the perimeter as well as anybody in the country. And so it's not shocking. That another reason why I don't understand why you would put yourself in situations where you're going to have to do that or you're mm-hmm. going to have to scramble because that team will find the open man. They will do it. I've watched them do it all year long. Yeah.
1: Well, if we look at some of the players here, we'll go through the starters not uh not much out of the starters really. Hauser played pretty well. Uh, Twenty-two minutes, eleven points, three rebounds, two assists. Hit a couple threes. Um, he did have four fouls, so maybe that limited him some. But
0: yeah, he he was you know part of the defensive issue in regard to dealing yeah, with Yeah, he, he he was the one flying out at him. <laughs> yeah, uh, and but again, that to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Joey a life raft on that one because I, I that was a strategic decision. Yeah, yeah. To, to play it that way, you know, offensively, he he hit some shots which they needed. Um, so I didn't think he I didn't think it was a bad game for him. And God, you know, with the fact that Malik gave them absolutely nothing, they mm. really they they needed him to be productive, and he was. He was reasonably productive. One of the yeah. few other guys besides the point guards who was. Mm. And sort of
1: quietly, he's up to forty percent from three now. Yep, uh, so, he's been shooting very well. Um, AJ, thirty-three minutes, fifteen points, four rebounds, eight assists, uh, a block, a steal, three turnovers, six um, for eleven from the floor.
0: You know, a a decent game from him. If they hadn't had him in the first half, that wouldn't have broken double digits. Mm-hmm. I mean. He was he was the only thing they had going. Uh, I thought he I thought he played reasonably well. I've, I've seen some people really harp on that last turnover he had when they were making the comeback. He penetrated and made a poor decision trying to kick it to somebody through a lot of traffic. Um, but I, I'm look. I I, I got to look at the bigger picture and and say that uh overall AJ Hogarth played himself a pretty solid game. Mm-hmm. Um we saw MSU, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Tyson already, but one feature of this game and unquestionably it worked. That's why they were going to it. They played the two guard lineup, two point guard lineup as much as it, they have at any time this year. Yeah. It, it was in there a
1: lot. And it was it was a relatively effective. I mean, Hogart on the wing, because he can slash good. You know, he can get to the rim. I mean, it kind of makes
0: sense. Well, one one reason you could do it in this game, maybe with a little more impunity than in others, is we talked about this in the preview a little bit. Illinois is pretty small around the perimeter. Mm -hmm. So that might have given Izzo a little more of a comfort level to say, all right, we can we can get away with playing these two guys together for longer stretches in this game because they don't have the size to really hurt us if we do so. But I, I think it's you know AJ's big enough. He he might not be able to guard every wing, but he can guard a lot of wings. Mm-hmm. You know he's got enough size and length to him. I, overall, I don't have complaints about AJ's game. I thought yeah. he was I thought he was pretty good. And and the thing you've got to say right now is. We're we're three games into this, you know, change at the at the point guard spot, um, and even though it's delivered only one win and two losses, I, I would say it was the right move because you've had Hogard playing pretty well, um, and yeah, I guess he wasn't great against Penn State, but in two of the three games, he's played well, and it's definitely for whatever reason. Tyson, I saw Tyson Walker over these three games is averaging better than 16 points a game and granted yesterday helped push that number northward but um he played well he had 15 against indiana Mm -hmm. so two of and and he was he had eight against penn state the only problem was it was low volume yeah i mean he, he shot four for five he's been he's something like over these three games he's like seventy some percent from the floor overall, sixty percent from three. I mean, he's the biggest thing to me is that two point percentage. Mm-hmm. Like that had been a problem all year long, and and now it's not. So it's this rotation with those two guys is working. So that's one thing I would keep. Mm-hmm. I would keep in place. I think they found something there. And the wings are
1: really worrying me a little bit i mean christy in this one 36 minutes six points five rebounds gave five points one rebound one assist uh, they were getting yeah. overplayed a lot especially in the first half but
0: well and again an aggressive tyson walker is going to solve some of that i'm telling you i don't see another option mm-hmm. because teams teams have decided rightly so up until this game well tyson walker just isn't aggressive so he's not going to hurt us so we can afford to tilt our coverage to these guys who are shooters for them who will take shots you know and the only way you could back people off that when they make that kind of decision is by taking advantage of what they're giving you and they are giving tyson walker a lot mm-hmm. so to me it's and i'm not letting max and gabe off the hook completely but if you want those guys to get going, one way that could definitely help make that happen is to have Tyson Walker being more aggressive. Mm-hmm. It will force defenses to defend differently. Or Tyson Walker will go for 30 a night. Right. <laughs>
1: uh, Bingham in this one, 13 minutes, three points, two rebounds, one for three,
0: a block of steel. Yeah, not not great from Uh you know he hit the one three um, but other than that this he his length has given Coburn problems in the past but you know give credit to Coburn he's continued to mature and evolve his game as he's gone on there and I don't think I don't think he's as susceptible to being bothered by length as he used to be I think he's yeah. he's figured out how to use his body a little more effectively. Um so mark marky just had a, a struggle in this game mm-hmm.
1: uh and then marble twenty two minutes eight points ten rebounds one assist
0: a block he other than tyson walker and and i guess Hogard, um Julius Marble was the thing that you come out of this game feeling the best about mm-hmm. he has he has started to become an effective and we've seen it now over three games where he's rebounding and he's defending. I thought he did a very good job considering the circuit. I mean look, Coburn's gonna chew up and spit out most people. Mm-hmm. I thought Julius made him work defending him. Yeah. Which the, the amount of size he's given up, that's an accomplishment, right? And and then to to be a double digit rebounder, he scored over him. Mm -hmm. in the post a few times i've got nothing i've got nothing negative to say about julius marble Mm -hmm. three games running i mean the end of the penn state game wasn't great but you know uh, that that gets into i think we talked about that like if you have to play him that much well that might be a problem because eventually the issues are going to show up but for the most part over three straight games he's been he's been a pretty effective guy inside and, and god knows they desperately need a rebounder in there so mm-hmm. he's been giving them that and he was the main uh cog in that pick and roll that tyson right.
1: walker was thrashing him on at the end and that give, was all give him
0: marble give him credit for the picks he set. yes mm-hmm. and that is this is uh, among several weaknesses with this team one that's very clear is they are not a great screening team you know they've had trouble with the timing. That's why you get those yeah. illegal screen calls. That's usually ninety percent of the time. That's a timing issue, um, and and the, just the quality of the screening has not been very good. Sometimes when you say, "Well, why aren't they? Why do they look like they're, you know, bogged down in quicksand on offense?" Well, some of that is a result of screening not being good. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is something that most most people don't pay enough attention to so they don't realize the difference. I, we used to have these discussions a lot around Thomas Kithier. Who said, oh, he would say, I don't do anything. He can't score. He's too small. That, you know, on and on and on. What they didn't realize is that Thomas Kithier was a really, really good screener. And sometimes the offense a lot of times, the offense functioned better when he was on the floor because of that. Mm-hmm. Xavier Tillman, for all the things that people could see that he was good at, he was an elite screener. You need guys to be really, really good in that area of the game. Maybe more now than ever because it has become such a pick-and-roll dominant game. You need guys who can, who can effectively set a screen That will get guys loose. Mm -hmm. Be it a ball handler, be it a shooter coming off for a catch and shoot. um, You need screening, and this Michigan State team has—you know—a lot of it's on the aggressiveness of the point guards and all that stuff. But some of it's also on the fact that they don't screen particularly well Mm -hmm. by MSU standards. So it was nice to see that working, and you got to give Marble some credit.
1: Yeah, Um, Malik Hall, sixteen minutes. Uh, no points, six rebounds, and assist, two steals.
0: Yeah, he was banged up a couple times, so I, Izzo mentioned it. So maybe give him a little bit of a pass. But, boy, um, all of a sudden, you know, he's had a couple games now where after it felt like he was starting to break through, and that's been the story of this team, right? Mm-hmm. All year long, you've had guys that will go on a run And you feel like, okay, this guy's turning the corner. And Malik more than most, because Malik actually has the tools. I I stand by everything I've said. There's a first-team All-Big Ten player in Malik Hall. Uh But he has to be that guy consistently. You know? Um, He has not been lately. And I'm not sure why that is, but it is. Yeah. Uh,
1: And then... We talked about Tyson quite a bit, but 26 points in 26 minutes, <laughs> 10 for 12 from the floor, three for three from three, uh, hit a couple free throws, three free throws, a block, he had a, that sweet the two-handed block. Was block.
0: Else, by the way, yeah, <laughs> that was a play that showed. Again, I go back to it. Tyson Walker has the athletic tools and the skill set to do everything. Everything. He doesn't have size. But he's enough of an athlete that he can make a play like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's enough of an athlete that it should offset some of his size deficiencies. Like at the rim, I've been a little surprised how much he struggled at the rim. And I I have to believe some of that is just an adjustment to playing against more size consistently Mm -hmm. in the Big Ten. But whatever it is, I've been a little bit surprised about that. But again, last three games during this run, he's up over 70% from the floor. So that's a good sign that maybe he's starting to figure it out. Um, But, you know, with his quickness and his handle, Tyson Walker can get an open shot whenever he wants. If anybody thinks that that sounds hyperbolic, I'd, I'd suggest that you watch him more closely. Watch the way people deal with him when he has the ball in his hands and on those rare occasions where he's been focused on getting himself a shot. Defenses can't not playing one-on-one. You could, I'm not saying he's Michael Jordan. You could, mm. you could put a defensive scheme out there that could bottle Tyson Walker up, but not if you're playing him straight up. You can't, mm. he can get a shot whenever he wants. He's the only guy on Michigan state's right. Well, Jaden Akins can probably do something similar, mm. but he's not as he's not as experienced as Tyson. Um, defenses cannot stop Tyson Walker from getting an open shot. They could they can maybe make him uh, make it an 18 footer as opposed to a layup. That they can do, but they can't stop him getting an open look. His handle and his quickness dictate that. Mm-hmm. So he has the tools necessary to get an open shot when he wants. That is something that they have not made nearly Mm -hmm. enough use of this year, in my opinion. I mean, I say again, the aftermath of that presser yesterday. Okay. uh, So are we saying that we don't think Tyson Walker can go out and score 15, 16, 17, at least a night? Because if that, if that's, if that's what we're saying, I vehemently disagree. I think he can get that anytime he chooses to. Mm-hmm. He just has to play with that kind of freedom in his head to go out and get it. Yeah. Because, because it's it's not like you know, he has to do for him to do that means he's looking to get a lot of it done himself. He's not gonna be scoring that being the recipient of other guys making plays for him. It's going to be Tyson Walker going out and in the pick and roll game, making a play. Mm. But, you know, this is where Cassius Winston just excelled. Cassius Winston had a, over those last two seasons, had a remarkable capacity for sensing when it was his time. Yeah, Right. I mean, we all saw that and, and MSU has had guards who've been really, really good in that way, you know, over decades, but, but Cassius being the most recent example of it, where, he could just sense, all right, it's time for me to go get mine because the team needs me to, mm-hmm. and he would go do it. And and the thing is, man, in terms of at least some of the physical tools, Tyson Walker has more of them than, than Cassius. He is quicker, clearly. there's There's no debate about that. Mm-hmm. I would say his handle is at least in the same ballpark. Yeah. You know? So he has that ability. I'm not saying he is cash, but he has that ability. He could be a guy who is a weapon offensively if he trusts in himself to be that. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. To me, it's mentality. Yeah, and that's
1: that's uh, we'll, that's the component right there, sensing right. when. Yep. Uh, so the other guys got in there. Brooks, Akins, Sissoko all had a handful of minutes, but not much. Nothing. Surpri- in the I was street. a little.
0: I was a little surprised. I, in one way, I was a little surprised to see Jaden Aiken's minutes uh, be limited. But um, I think he was a victim more than anything else of uh, the two point guard lineup getting so much run. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that had a lot to do with why Jaden's minutes were limited. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't really see that it did a lot to hold down Gabe or Max. They still played a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pierre Brooks, I, I think, was zero for two from the floor. Yeah, uh, but you know that's another guy, and you could you could say he's young. He doesn't have experience at all. True, what he also doesn't have is any fear. <laughs> yeah, and and I like that. I've always liked that about. I think he's a very confident kid, and you know, his time's going to come. It, it's not this year, but uh his time's going to come. Mm-hmm. And Madi struggled in the couple minutes he was out there. It wasn't very good.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so the keys, Rod Coburn was the number one key. Well,
0: hey, you can't argue with his production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was very, very good for them. Um, as I say, my, the disappointment... Maybe more than disappointment, just the confusion I have is why, you know, every most of the time in Tom Izzo's career, win or lose, you could see the coherency of a plan. And you say, okay, this worked, or on more rarely, uh, you know, on fewer occasions, okay, this didn't work, but I understand the rationale for it. Mm I, I didn't short of maybe the idea of just saying we want to throw different looks at him. We don't want to get comfortable. That's the only coherency I could see in it mm-hmm. because they just, they, they didn't, they didn't play him in a consistent way. And I, for the most part, I don't think that was a positive. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then the defend the arc. I mean, it seemed like worse than it was. They actually only wound up shooting eight for 27 from three. Uh, you can't
0: argue with that. But they were all no.
1: just demoralizing well, well, it was, threes,
0: it seemed it like. Was, right. I mean, Grandison in the first half just killed him. Just absolutely killed him. And it really was. It was a, a two halves kind of game because the second half, I, I what Coburn had 27, Yeah. He said, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I think he only had eight at halftime. So second half, it was much more about Kofi. Uh, But, yeah, Grandison hit six threes, I believe. Yeah. And then Frazier had, look, tip your hat to Trent Frazier. That was a shot that is not a great shot. He took it from about, I think it was about 20, at least 23, 24 feet, maybe even 25. I mean, he's way back behind the line, that shot to kind of ice it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um but he can make shots like that. And, you know, sometimes a guy just goes out and makes a play and you gotta tip your hat. Uh that was the biggest shot of the game because it won it. It it turned a, a game Michigan State would have a, a chance to tie or win into a two possession game and that's it. Just not enough time left to make that happen. Um so I think you're right. I think you look at the course of the game and you have to conclude hey, Michigan State did a pretty good job containing them. And so maybe maybe in that sense, despite everything I said, I should maybe at least halfway backtrack on what I said earlier about the way that they played this because, you know, the Grandison thing was tough to watch. But the rest of those guys, they contained. Mm-hmm. I mean, eight for 27, that's not good. You know that's that's sub thirty percent shooting, so Michigan State did in fact limit Illinois from three. I think the the problem is maybe maybe this would be the best way to to counter it or think about it is that they got a lot of attempts, and so eight made threes is a decent number. It's not great, but it's mm. decent. Um, maybe ideally, what you would have hoped for is to find a way to hold those attempts down further. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, hard, it's it's hard to look at those numbers and feel like they did a poor job, and yet you think back to that game, and the uh, it seems like every one of the three Illinois made loomed large. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then defensive rebounding,
1: like uh, they had. 14 offensive rebounds to Michigan State's 12, and they both had 24 defensive rebounds.
0: Yeah, uh, look, Illinois got a lot done with second chances. This was this was not a surprise. I mean, we knew it was going to be a different story in the first game just because Colburn was on the floor, mm-hmm. and it was, and Colburn was a huge part of that. He got a bunch of them, and Illinois was very effective in turning offensive rebounds into points. There, there was one in the second half that was extremely frustrating. Um, and I can't remember who hit the three, maybe it was plumber. They had a play where the Illinois is in a late shot clock situation. If I remember correctly in the corner, mm-hmm. on the lower lower side, as you're watching it on TV and they put up a three, that's an air ball. Actually it wasn't plumber. I think Plummer shot the air ball. Um, And it's right there to be grabbed. But Illinois grabs the offensive rebound off an air ball ball gets to Hawkins who kind of volleyball taps it out is a quick one touch pass and they hit a three off it. Mm -hmm. And that was emblematic to me of the problems that Michigan State was having um, in this game and how they've had. The problems they've had for much of the season.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, they just get killed by second chances. They give up too many of them, and then teams punish them for it on way too consistent a basis. And, you know, at this stage, I don't know. I don't know what you do to fix it because it's, I, I do not believe. It is a physical thing. I, people want to say, "Oh, they don't have, they don't have big enough guys. They don't have strong enough guys." I, I don't buy that. I've seen Michigan State teams who have a similar size profile rebound defensively better than this. Mm-hmm. This is about a mentality, and maybe what it means is, uh, you know, I don't. Uh, maybe you're going to have to go get somebody. Maybe you're going to have to go in the portal and get somebody. Now, one thing I would say is Julius Marble rebounding the best he ever has in his career of late. If that is something that is sustainable, well, that's a that's a positive. Mm. I do think that uh, the big kid they're bringing in, Jackson Kohler, has a reputation as a pretty good rebounder, but I got I got to see it. I got to see all of that at this level. The only thing I'm certain of with Jackson Kohler coming in next year is that Michigan State will once again have a post option. Uh, That's the only thing I know about. Mm. Um, So maybe he helps. We'll we'll have to see. Maybe a lot. I don't know. But they they got to change this. They have to because you can't you can't survive. And again, Jay Williams talks a lot of nonsense, but one thing he, one other thing he said that resonated with me is he said it was that play I was just talking about. He said this is that's the kind of thing that is just deflating, and he's absolutely right. We've talked about that. Yeah. You give up second chance opportunities, it kills you. A team scores two or three points, it feels like six, mm-hmm. and because it, it, because in a sense it is because you swing. From they don't score and you have a chance to score to they scored. Mm-hmm. That's a big swing. And when you get it, when you worked hard enough defensively to generate a missed shot, that's that's a hard thing to do. So you gotta clean up the class. You gotta get the ball after that. When you don't and they punish you for it, it's just yeah, it just takes the wind out of your sails. Mm-hmm. It's it's the by far the biggest thing that fans and broadcasters have misunderstood about this Michigan State team: the obsession with turnovers. Misses the real story here. It's obscured it all year long. Hmm. Uh, well, at least since January, um, at least since the start of the new year, because that's when the rebounding really went the shitter. It's it's defensive rebounding. That is that is the thing, because if you look historically at Michigan State, um, their turnover numbers this year are not really outside the range of what other very very successful Michigan State teams have had. Mm-hmm. So that's not the difference. The difference is this team doesn't rebound. Yeah, the that the fourth keys turnovers
1: only eleven. For Michigan State, compared to eight for them, one well, bad. It certainly didn't do anything to lose them the game. It's been like that for weeks now, where these turnovers are are not.
0: Well, in the 20s, ironically, you know? they the worst game they've had lately was against Indiana. I think they had fifteen, mm-hmm. and they won comfortably. So, again, what does that tell you? If if you think if you look at this team and you think that turnover, the turnover number is a barometer of whether MSU plays well or not. I would suggest to you, you're not looking very hard. Mm -hmm. It's, it's important if it's really, really egregious, if you've got a big gap, like it's going to be big in the next one because Iowa does a great job of taking care of the ball and they tend to generate a bunch of turnovers. So it's going to matter there, but for the most part, it's not a barometer. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And then the fifth key was compete level.
0: I, I got to tell you, I didn't love the first half.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't think it was quite as bad as what we saw against Penn State or what we saw against Rutgers and Wisconsin, but it wasn't nearly where it needed to be. You knew because Illinois had lost two or three, and they're trying to win a Big Ten title. So you knew Illinois was going to come out playing with some force, some purpose, and they did. And especially when you're, you know, you got a monster you're dealing with, Coburn. You've got to find a way to match that level. You know, I I wanted to see Michigan State come out like what their hair was on fire, Mm -hmm. kind of like they did against Indiana, right, where every loose ball was theirs. They're flying around the court. We didn't see that at all. And, And I would argue, I mean, I think people, have, from what I've observed, people kind of talk themselves into the idea that it got a lot better in the second half. I don't know that it got a lot better. I'll go along with it, got better. But I think a lot of that comeback was really down to the fact that Tyson Walker decided that he was the baddest man on the floor. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was, wow, Michigan State just grabbed every rebound and they locked down defensively. You It wasn't that.
1: Right? Yeah. No. it, It just came down to him hitting every single shot he took. I mean... Right, and
0: and so I, I still think compete level is an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll put a a bow on that one. Uh,
1: any final thoughts? I, I do gotta, think it, gotta figure it out. It, it does feel a little bit like if this was like a stock, the bottom was halftime of this game. <laughs>
0: you know, I, I you know I, I hope so, but we've seen some false dawns before i mean Mm -hmm. a week prior we thought okay they found themselves against indiana well they weren't able to sustain that yeah so they they come out right after that and give arguably their most lackadaisical performance of the season against penn state um so i i i don't know i don't know i don't Mm -hmm. feel any confidence i'd like to believe that's true but, you know, if, if you could tell me, okay, Tyson's going to be more aggressive the rest of the way, then I might buy into that. Because that would be enough. That would be enough to change some things in the dynamic. But, you know, like, let, let's put it this way. We've said um, Julius Marble has played probably his, well, certainly his best string of games of the season, his best three consecutive by far. Do you feel ultra-confident that he's going to continue that uninterrupted? I, I don't. I'd, I'd love to see it. I hope to see it. And he's capable of doing that, clearly. We've seen that now. He, is a, he has done some things as a rebounder and a defender that I wasn't sure he was ever going to be able to do. But do I know he's going to sustain it? No. Because we've had this for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go down the list virtually everyone on this team has had a run of several games where you start to think, Oh, they figured it out. Yeah. And then it disappears. It's the weirdest thing because normally you don't have a dynamic like this. It is a very unusual season in that sense, in that they've got a lot of guys who can play competitive basketball. There's not a lot of drop off from one to seven one to eight right i you know game to game who's won (laughs) you don't know (laughs) but but it's it's the they don't have the the difference is when you've got the one or you've got the two part of that is around the fact that that designation is around the fact that you know those guys are going to be there, game in, game out. You always knew Cassius Winston was going to score, mm. and he was going to set people up. The, the the level could vary a little bit, but not much. You know, Xavier Tillman was going to show up. He was going to do the thing Xavier Tillman does. You know, and, and you can count on that. You this team, and I've been a proponent of the idea that. Oh, this not having an alpha stuff is much ado about nothing, or at least it's not as important as people make it out to be. But I think where it has, where the rubbers hit the road on that, is the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that you just you can't count on anybody. You figure, rightly so, that somebody's gonna show up in every game, because they do, mm-hmm. but you can't count on who it is so if I could if I could count on that then it would be easier to say okay stocks bottomed out and it's up from here but you can't you can't say that yet you know if you could if you could tell me right now Julius Marble and Tyson Walker are going to be the same guys they were against Illinois the rest of the season more or less Mm -hmm. Um, okay that'd be a starting point but I I don't know whether that's going to happen
1: yeah I, well, let's put it this way. I, I wouldn't go all in right now. But right.
0: I, if if I were to
1: guess, this feels like a bottom. Just an intuitive I think it's thought. Fair,
0: I I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I, I, I would like to believe it's true. And I think that there – you could put an argument together for why that's a likely outcome. Mm-hmm. History being, being a big one. Yeah. But, uh, man, to know it
1: yeah Yeah, that's yeah okay well we'll end this one here and uh we'll have a preview up for iowa after that until then the final four is not on the schedule at granger we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail the ones who fuss tinker and sweat the small stuff because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.